Welcome to Blaine Christ the King. You are listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at our campus location in Blaine, Washington. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning, all. Uh, The text this morning comes from Ecclesiastes 2, 1 through 11. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also a vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom. And how to lay hold on folly till I might see what, see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during, during the few days of their life. I had made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks and more than any who had been seen before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expanded in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. The word of God. Thank you, Bruce. Well, first off, I, um, I feel really spoiled by you guys. I was extremely nice um, and unexpected, so thank you. Um, But as Bruce read, we're uh, going through the book of Ecclesiastes. We're in chapter 2 this week, and um, we're continuing this series called Chasing the Wind, and that's essentially what this book is about. It's sort of this guy Solomon chasing all the things that life has to offer and finding it to be just like the wind, just disappearing. Um, I also want to say hi to my mom. She's not here, but I know she'll probably listen to the recording. So, hi, mom. Good to see you. Or good to, well, I don't know. I'm not seeing you right now, but I'll call you later today. So, (laughs) um, but getting back to Ecclesiastes, I think the book of Ecclesiastes has a lot to offer us. I think it's both practical and real. Um, It meets us in the place of life where we are disillusioned where we've spent our lives chasing after things just to find, like Bruce said, just it to be vanity, to be empty. And um, so it takes us on a journey to find meaning, and that's what we're doing today. Last week we talked about the main character of this book. He's called the preacher, or in Hebrew, the Koheleth. 
Um, he's the guy who people crowd around to hear speak. He's like if a celebrity walked into the room today um, and sat down on a stool. Like if Harrison Ford, you know, imagine Harrison Ford walked into the room, sat down on a stool, and maybe you're an Indiana Jones fan or a Star Wars fan. You just wanted to hear what he had to say. You were so ready to be enlightened about the movies you love. And then what if Harrison Ford just ripped those movies apart, just like, oh, it's all empty, it's meaningless. Um, like, you know, come on, Star Wars fans, it's just a movie, you know. Um, but, you know, that is essentially what Solomon is doing to life right here. He's, he's kind of exposing life for, for what it is. And so he uses this word vanity, which is a Hebrew word, hevel. And hevel means, literally, it means a breath or a vapor. It can mean smoke. It appears all throughout Scripture, both the Old Testament and New Testament, uh, not just in Ecclesiastes, but in many places it talks about how life is a breath. And so it's just it's biblical reality that we have a life that is dissipating into the air like, like smoke. Like we appear for a little w a while, and then all of a sudden we're gone. We just vanish into the air like smoke. And so Solomon makes this kind of his key image for us throughout this book, that life is is like smoke. It just is here. You can't grab onto it. You can't contain it. You can't try to capture it, but it just dissipates into the air. So, um, so the first thing, Solomon is on this journey of trying to find meaning in life, and his first stop on his tour is pleasure. He tries to look for meaning in pleasure. It might be the first place that most of us try to find meaning in life. Like, what if life is just about having a good time? And so he, he, he doesn't uh, limit anything. He searches for anything that appeals to his senses. He just tries everything, and he's trying to find out, is the good life really the good life? If I have everything I want, is that really the good life? Verse 1, he says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. And then he quickly gives away that result, um, which uh, Bruce just said so well. He said, but behold, this also was vanity. Pleasure was hevel. It was just smoke. It was something you couldn't capture. It was something that was dissipating into the air, quickly vanishing. So we're talking today about how to enjoy life, enjoying life. And I think if someone asked you, do you want to enjoy life, I don't think anybody here would say no, right? Does everybody here want to enjoy life? Yes? It's okay. You can raise your hand. I do too. But everyone in this room's answer would be yes. Like, I do want to enjoy life. I don't think anybody would say no. I'd prefer a life of drudgery and monotony. Um, I'd prefer to be depressed and down all the time. Like maybe if you're a rock star and you're like trying to like protect your cool guy image, like that might be something you say. But deep down, I think all of us want to enjoy life. And I would say this, that is not a bad pursuit. Joy is supposed to be present in the life of a Jesus follower. Like it's supposed to be evidence that we follow Jesus is that we have joy in our heart. It's a fruit of the spirit is joy. So to have joy present in your life is not a bad thing. Like, I want people to see joy in my life so they see, like, maybe there is something to this God thing. Like, wouldn't you want that too? Like, you don't want to follow, you're not attracted to somebody who isn't enjoying life. Does that make sense? Like, you're not attracted to someone who doesn't, like, have joy, who's like, hey, come with me. I'm going to invite you on this 
Jesus journey with me. That's not, like, attractive, right? <laughs> Nobody wants to follow that. Um, you know, like, if we run around, like, stressed out and tired, like, who wants to follow that? And so joy is sort of this evidence of following Christ. But the question is, how do we get there as a Christ follower? And I think Ecclesiastes 2 shows us sort of the other side of that. How do we get there? How do we have a life full of joy as a follower of Jesus? I think enjoying life is a challenging thing to talk about today because our culture is all about it. Our culture is all about enjoying life, so much so that our identity that the world tries to hand us is you are an individual consumer. Like, your life is about consuming things. You find joy in what you buy, what you do, your experiences. Joy comes from consuming. In fact, they want to make your identity, your primary identity is to be a consumer. So we're going to try something. This is just for fun. Um, I want to ask you some questions. And raise your hand if you identify with the brand I'm going to talk about, okay? You good with that? All right. Okay. This is, you know, this is faith right here, guys. Come on. All right. And it's okay. Like, I'm going to raise, you know, I'm not, actually, I'm not going to raise my hand, okay? But um, I want you to. How's that for, how's that for uh, leadership? Um, but, okay, Coke or Pepsi? Where are the Coke people in the house? All right. All right. Pepsi people. Where are the Pepsi people in the house? Trent, got a couple back here. All right. All right. Who's a sparkling water person? Anybody? All right. A few people. Okay. See, there's some brand identity. All right. Okay. Here's, a, here's one that hits close to home. Woods or Starbucks? All right. All right. Who's a Woods person? All right. Amen. No. Um, <laughs> who's a Starbucks person? All right. Hey, brave of you. Good job. Um, <laughs> Who thinks coffee is disgusting? All right, you know, we'll pray for you guys. Like, we will, so you see the light. Um, okay, how about this? How about this? For if you enjoy the outdoors, this, is, this could be tricky. REI or Cabela's, okay? Who's an REI person? All right, a few people, okay. Who's a Cabela's person? Okay, we got a little mix there. Who goes to both stores for different things and still lives? Okay, a few people, right on. Okay, yeah, but, you know, those two stores in particular, they have different identities attached to them. They have different images of what it looks like to enjoy life. You know, our economy is built to make us into, make us defined by what we choose to have pleasure in, what we choose to enjoy. That's kind of, they want to sell you sort of an identity. We want, they want to define us by the things that we choose, by our choice as a consumer. When you open your laptop, the world's screaming, consume, buy, buy, this will bring you joy, this will bring you joy, buy this. The world is, is constantly sending you pictures of perfect people living perfect lives, and they just happen to be wearing the deodorant that they're selling. Um, you know, it's all about the deodorant, you know. Um, but Solomon would say, it's all hevel. It's vanity. It's smoke. It's chasing after the wind. I was just thinking about, you know, like if they ran ads from 25 years ago, we laugh, right? Because like none of that stuff matters. It's all smoke. It's all dissipating into the air. And so Solomon tries to, decides that trying to chase after life as pleasure is not a feasible path, and not, uh, not a uh, great way to find meaning in life. Um, but this is how he goes about it. You can see in verse 9, he says, So I became great, 
and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. All my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was the reward of all my toil. So Solomon objectively says, I'm going to try this to see if I can find meaning in it. And he just runs after all of it. He doesn't, he lets himself go. He just does everything. Um, Solomon is like working for the weekend. You guys remember that song, right? No, he's working for the weekend. He's trying to pursue meaning. And so he becomes this individual consumer where he works really hard to accomplish things. And then he just like enjoys whatever he can. Um, you know, this is sort of that classic, like, workplace mantra, like, work hard, play hard, is what I see in Solomon's life, and it's so prevalent in our culture, like, life's about working hard and playing hard, and, you know, like, basically, if you're not living for anything greater, then your life can easily become a pursuit of your own pleasure. You become your own God, and chasing joy becomes your primary motivation. You know, it's like if you had an internal Marie Kondo, you know, if you had an internal Marie Kondo and you just like went around your life and you were asking, like, does this spark joy? No, I'm getting rid of it. You know, does this spark joy? No, I'm getting rid of it. That didn't land. I haven't really watched that show, so I won't, I won't bring her up again. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> that's okay. Um, <laughs> without like a greater meaning, life becomes a chase. Without a greater meaning, we just spend our time chasing everything, chasing whatever our heart desires. And so that is what kind of our first big idea this morning is that if life is a chase, then it's something you take. And that's one approach to life. Like, I just need to go out and get pleasure, get fun, get joy, like get out and grab it. It's something that you run after. Uh, pleasure is something that you can easily make your life all about, especially today. You know, um, you, can, you can work real hard during the week so that you can have your own version of fun on the weekend. Or work becomes your fun, and you're always trying to take that next hill. What's the next thing? You're never satisfied, never stopping, always working. And so I want to show you a list taken from this passage of the ten things Solomon chased after. And these are things that Solomon didn't hold himself back from. He just went all in, guns a-blazing. He just went for it. And just look at this list. Solomon chased laughter, fun, wine, property, nature, importance, wealth, music, sex, and accomplishment. Now, I don't know what you notice when you look at that list, but one of the things I notice is Ecclesiastes says over and over again that there's nothing new under the sun. Like, we're still chasing these things, right? Like, we want these things in our lives, and in and of themselves, they're not bad things. But are we chasing those things? Is that what life is about? Is there something on this list that you find yourself chasing, running after, trying to obtain for yourself? You know, let's just take one as an example, like laughter. Like, laughter is not a bad thing. Like, I want my life to be filled with laughter. But what if you just pursue laughter, if that becomes the thing that you do? He says, uh, Solomon says, laughter is madness. 
you know, but what if like every spare moment you're watching like the next stand-up comedy on Netflix or just trying to like kind of use laughter as a way to escape from the reality of life? You know, are there things that you chase on this list? What if you spent your life just chasing after these things? You chase fun, you chase wine, you chase sex. What happens is you get into some, you get into like a, a spiral of addiction, right? Like if you, put, if you put one of these things on the throne, you get into like an addictive spiral and it actually ends up destroying your life. If you put wealth on the, um, on the throne of your heart, you end up disconnected from your friends, your family, like you work so hard that, um, that you lose touch. You know, if you chase wealth and accomplishment, it can lead to disconnection from family, loss of community. Um, if you chase sex, you can chase it into an affair or a porn addiction that can rip apart and destroy your family. You know, when you chase these things, it's, it's when you put this at the, at the center of your heart, you're creating an idol to chase after instead of Jesus. And so I love what this Scottish pastor, David Gibson, said. He put it this way. And I wish I could speak with a Scottish accent to enliven this, but I'm not going to try. Um, but just imagine it, okay? Um, Dakota might be able to pull it off, but no. Um, people who follow Jesus often lose sight of the world to come. We become resident Christians instead of nomadic Christians. We become fully integrated into the world instead of viewing ourselves as passing through. And we do this by living as if our greatest treasures are the here and now. We display a sense of permanence by our lifestyle choices, the homes we live in the money we spend, the churches we build. See, we got the church in there too, okay? But the churches we build, the investments we pursue, and the priorities we live for. We hold the good things of this world too tightly and lavish our affections too freely. We strive and strain for the same, ty- same kind of gain as everyone else around us. And that's what he's saying about our culture, is that we can follow Jesus but really just live for the same stuff that everybody else is living for. And in many ways, this is, um, uh, the temptation is greatest right now to run after those things. I was thinking back to like some of the songs of the 1930s. I don't know if you've listened to any of the, uh, the songs of the church that came out in the 1930s, but they're all about the next life. Like, uh, I'll fly away. Like, some bright morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. Like, they're all talking about the sweet by and by. Because life was hard, right? And so there wasn't as much attachment to the things of the earth. Like they were, there was more of a focus on the life to come, that life was something to be endured. And so compared to that time, we have so much. We have so many options, so much choice. And for us, pleasure has become this trap that we can easily start pursuing. I would say, like, in our culture, there's this big, bright neon sign that says pleasure. You know, enter here, right? Just, there's this big, bright sign that says pleasure, and then there's this little wooden hand-marked sign that says Jesus. And we have two ways, which way are we going to choose? The one that says Jesus is not that attractive, but it leads to life. The one that, uh, the big neon sign that says pleasure is attractive, but it leads to death. 
and we have these two different choices. We have to decide which one we will take, which way our life will be all about. And so Solomon tried this to take this sign, marked pleasure. He tried to follow that road as far as he could just to see where it headed. And at the end of the day, he says, what use is it? It's useless. All the things I thought I was going to find satisfaction in are empty. They're, they're dead-end roads, and I thought it was going to be so great. He actually pursues pleasure and ends up hating his life, like the opposite of what he was trying to achieve. You can see in Ecclesiastes 2.18, he says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Who knows what... Oh, man. Whew. All right, sorry, I'm getting fired up. Um, who, knows, who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? He will be the master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. And then you can see what happens. So I turned about and I gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. So when Solomon chases pleasure, chases work, chases accomplishment, he ends up in despair. He ends up being anxious, restless, unable to sleep. He ends up with his days full of sorrow and frustration. Um, he realizes that the party is going to come to end and all of the stuff that he's built is going to someone else. Like, there has to be more to life than just chasing our own good. And that's really like our story today. Like, we live in a really anxious, stressed out culture. We live with a lot of depression, and yet we have more than, I don't know, anybody ever. <laughs> like, we have a lot, and yet we are anxious, and we are stressed out, and we are uh, depressed. And could it be that chasing these things only adds to that anxiety, that we must be rooted in something deeper than that? And so the twist of Solomon's message comes at the end of the chapter. You can look at verse 24. And this is how he concludes. He says, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw, and here's the twist, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. So that, I'm, and I don't know if I preface this, Ecclesiastes is sort of a negative book. <laughs> so just so you know, it's not you, it's just negative. Um, but, but this is part of that journey. He's like, you know, the, if, if I just try to pursue all this stuff without God, it's going to put me on a dead-end road. It's going to go to somebody else. And so Solomon concludes that there's nothing better for someone than to enjoy the life that God's given them. What has God given you to do? What has God given you to work on? What has God given you and called you out to do? That is the, 
the greatest thing that you can do. He says, all of life is from the hand of God. And that's the change that God gives to the one who pleases him. You see the gifts that God gives, that they are wisdom and knowledge and joy. Like those are gifts of God. So you see the difference between chasing those things apart from God and receiving those things from God. And so this is the turning point for us. If we really want to enjoy life, this is what the message of Ecclesiastes is. What if life is a gift and not a chase? What if life is a gift and not a chase? What if we receive from God instead of chasing all these things we think we'll find joy in? God is the giver of life. I want to read this from James 1.16. It says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of his truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits for his creatures. So your whole existence is a gift from God. Everything that you've been given, you've been given by God. All the good things in your life, every good and perfect gift comes from God. That changes everything. If we see life as a gift, that everything comes from God, it removes any sense of entitlement that we have, and instead we become grateful followers when we see the gifts that he has given us. Instead of trying to maintain and hold everything, we trust this God who's given us everything. We receive and accept life as a gift. I think it changes even the way that we see death. It changes even the way that we see death. We don't view death maybe just as the end of the road, as sad and depressing. We approach death thankful for the years that we've been given. Thankful for the life we've been given because every year, every moment is a gift from God. We're not entitled to life. We're given life as a gift from God. And I would say if we're wise, then we're also willing to give that life back to him because he's the one that causes flourishing in our lives. He's the one that causes life to come up out of our lives, that he brings transformation. And so here's what changes, that if life is a gift— it's something that you receive and steward. That you receive gifts in your lives and then you steward those gifts that God's given you. You enjoy those in God's way. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. All the good things in your life you've received from God. They aren't things that we're entitled to that we clench with a closed fist. They're things that we hold open-handed as a follower of Christ. So let's look again at that list that we saw earlier. You know, what if that list um, that we looked at earlier from Solomon was things that we saw as something we received from God and then steward? Doesn't that change things? If it's not a chase, but these are things that we receive from God and then steward with our lives, if we, if we enjoy them in the way that God intended? Like, what if laughter is just part of the journey with God? instead of something that we have to chase down? What if fun is part of that journey with God, not something that we have to chase down? Now, I want to say with wine, I know that we have different convictions probably in this room 
on wine. And I want to encourage you to keep those convictions. I think there's biblical precedent for moderation. Um, but if you have a conviction that wine is you, to abstain from wine, I want you to hold that conviction God's given you that. Um, but property, nature, what if sex was something that was just enjoyed within the bounds of marriage and love? Like, that would be beautiful. It is beautiful. Um, so all of these things, what if these are things, instead of things that we have to chase down and track down with, with all of our effort, all of our energy, what if they're things that we receive from God and then steward by how we live? So the message here is this, is that life is a gift, not a chase. Life is a gift that we receive and not a chase. And so this is the answer to the big question that I posed in the beginning. How do followers of Jesus enjoy life? It's this right here. It's chase Jesus and enjoy whatever he gives you. That if we chase Jesus and then enjoy whatever he gives us, that is the way to live right there. God doesn't want us to make our life about pursuing all those external things. He wants us to pursue him first. I want you to look at what uh, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 31, 33. You've probably heard this. He says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Isn't that great? He knows what we need, right? We don't always get what we want, but God knows what we need. Uh, and then here's the thing, and you've heard this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now the question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that if you chase Jesus, that he will give you everything that you need? Because God doesn't want you to make your life about things that turn into dust. God wants you to make your life about the eternal. All of life is supposed to be about pursuing the kingdom of God and trusting him with the rest. Receiving things with an open hand and allowing God to be at work in your life. Um, I've never had a time in my life where this was more vivid um, than when I went on a summer mission trip in college. And the band can come on up. Um, I spent eight weeks in London. I was working with this group called Operation Mobilization. I was a, on a team of about 30 people. We were staying in this little hole-in-the-wall church called, this is the actual name, St. John's Wood Road Baptist Church. Say that ten times fast. Um, we had to sleep on chairs put together to make beds. Um, we, this was for eight weeks. We'd walked uh, like two miles down to this corner on the road where we'd set, uh, set up this Christian book table and get in conversations with total strangers who come from all different walks of life about Jesus. Like, that was the most intimidating thing I've ever done. Here I am, an American kid in London, just making conversation about Jesus right off the bat. Like, that was a scary thing for me. And most of the time, the conversations were challenging, but they were civil. Sometimes they weren't civil. Uh, I was civil, okay, but sometimes they weren't civil. Um, but our group faced a lot of pressure. Um, we built relationships all over the, you know, from people all over the world. Uh, we prayed for people. We were invested. Like, this was a time where I didn't really have a whole lot else to focus on, just like, we're doing this thing. 
and it was really, really beautiful. You know, we'd have times where we'd be talking about the people we met, and we'd just be crying for them. We'd be crying because we cared about them. And then we had Thursdays, and Thursdays were our day off. And I loved Thursdays. Like, you know what we did? We rested. We traveled around the city. We ate at great restaurants. Like, we had fun. Uh, I actually developed this love for Lebanese food. I uh, love shawarma after that. Like, I could eat lamb all day now. That's kind of weird. Like, um, but we bought, you know, we bought things. We went to museums. We just had fun. And it was beautiful because it was just like that time to breathe, that time to rest, enjoy the good things that God has given. You know, and if we make, it's so much sweeter if we make Jesus that number one priority in our lives and he gives us the things to, to enjoy. If he gives us the things to enjoy in our life, it's so much sweeter. It's so much more beautiful. If we don't make our life about chasing all this stuff, but we cherish and enjoy the good things that he gives. That's fulfillment. When we're wrapped up in what God's doing and we worship him and we praise him, we enjoy him. And we also enjoy the things that he gives us. He gives our life with joy. It's a fruit of the spirit. When we start with joy, we don't have to end with joy. And that's a beautiful thing. We can enjoy the things that we receive. Our family, our spouse, our house, our accomplishments, we can sit back and enjoy as gifts of God. And so as we close today, I just want to ask you, are you chasing the smoke or are you chasing Jesus? Because it's so much more fulfilling to chase Jesus. We can live as grateful people, not entitled people. We don't have to compare what we've received compared to what others have received. We don't expect things because our mind isn't there. Our mind is on Jesus. Everything else is a bonus. When we chase Jesus, we can start satisfied instead of making satisfaction this goal that we never get to. You know, the real tragedy of that smoke and trying to harness it is that we actually never find the end of it. We actually never find that satisfaction. The only place where we can have satisfaction and genuine joy is in a relationship with Jesus. And so guys, let's start with him. Like when we start satisfied with Jesus, everything else is a gift. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you, God, and we are so thankful as your children that you give good things, Father, that you give us life that you give us joy, you give us community, you give us family, you give us a roof over our head, you give us clothes on our back, you've provided everything. And so, Lord, today our posture is one of thanksgiving towards you. Lord, we are grateful and thankful for you and, and what you've done in our lives, God. May we live lives of thankfulness. May we live lives of gratitude. We, may, we, may we be able to enjoy the moment. God, that you give. Enjoy those moments. Enjoy the journey of life that when we follow Jesus, those good gifts that you give, God. Lord, one of the hardest things in life is to live life open-handedly, is to not grab onto things and hold on to them. God, I pray that you would help all of us to open our hands, Father. Open our hands this morning towards you. God, that we would open our hands and say, God, my life is yours. 
God, that you would bring us to a place of trust. Do I really trust you with everything? Lord, help us if we're grabbing onto something too tightly, God, would you help us to ease up? God, would you help us to, to let you control life, God? It's a scary journey, God, but it's a journey of transformation, Lord. We want to be a people filled with joy. Lord, we want to be a people that, that are defined by joy, God. Lord, would you help us, Lord, in those hard places in our lives, God? Would your spirit enter those places, our hurt, our pain, God, our places where life didn't go right, Lord, would you enter into those places and help us to live for what matters, God? For you are a good God, and every perfect gift comes from you. Lord, you love us as your children, God, and we are so grateful, Father. In, it's in Jesus, it's in your name we pray.